Back in the 1950s, a new product was brought to market with the goal of simplifying American life. Betty Crocker's instant cake mix was positioned as the future of cooking. All you had to do was mix the ingredients in the package, add a bit of water, stick it in the oven, and you had a delicious homemade cake. The problem was, the mixes made baking too easy. With too little effort to generate a sense of personal creation, consumers didn't like it, and nobody bought the product. To solve the problem, the creators changed the recipe, forcing bakers to add an egg to the mixture. Now think about that change just for a second. It goes against all conventional wisdom. Making something harder shouldn't increase adoption, but it did. Adding that extra step increased the amount of people using it, gave wannabe chefs a feeling of real accomplishment, and made the instant cake mixes an overnight success. This phenomenon has subsequently been called the IKEA effect. It is a cognitive bias that suggests we place a higher value on things we have helped to create. The name was coined after an experiment conducted by Norton, Motion and Dan Ariely in 2012. In the study, two groups received IKEA boxes that were either fully assembled, so the product was fully put together, or still in the flat pack box. Those given the flat pack had the unenvious task of having to assemble the item. At the end of the experiment, the participants had an auction for the furniture they had either been given or the furniture they had assembled themselves. Now, in both examples, the furniture was identical, but those who had built the furniture themselves were willing to pay much more. In essence, IKEA consumers place greater value on their purchases simply because they built their purchases themselves. Today we are focusing on the IKEA effect and we're going to look at how it works and how you can use it. The podcast I'd like to recommend today is the D2C pod brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. The D2C pod is a podcast all about all the things direct to consumer. The hosts cover everything from starting, growing and optimizing e-commerce stores and D2C brands. If you're interested in the stories behind your favorite consumer brands, this is a podcast for you. To start, I'd suggest checking out episode 318, which features the CMO of Feastables. So listen to D2C pod wherever you get your podcasts. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. It's like trying to remember the name of someone you've just met at a networking event. I've made this mistake before, introducing a colleague to my new friend Dan, only to find out his name was actually Ian. Being personal with your customers is important, but keeping on top of all that information can be very hard. That's where HubSpot's all-new service hub comes in. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. It's got an AI-powered help desk and an AI-powered chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. Plus, it never forgets a first name. All of that can help you scale support and drive retention and revenue. That means better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit hubspot.com service to do more for your customers today. Dan Ariely's 2012 paper dug into the power of the IKEA effect and revealed just how significant it is. 
They actually cite that Betty Crocker example as one of the first examples of the effect, but they concede that it might not be entirely accurate. Other competitors at the time had recipes that also required the use of a fresh egg, the first of which was launched way back in the 1930s. But Dan was still gripped by the idea that infusing a task with labour was critical to increasing perceived value. So to confirm his theory, he conducted more experiments, this time involving origami. In the test, participants were asked to create origami cranes and then to bid on their creations. They were able to bid on their own origami, someone else's origami, and expert-made origami. On average, participants saw their own creation as three times more valuable than somebody else's creation, and interestingly, almost as valuable as expert-built origami. The fact that participants see their own creations at a similar value to expert-built versions is hugely important. It shows why cheap IKEA chairs are so successful compared to well-made, professionally designed alternatives. However, this research showed the effect had limits as well. When participants spent too much time building their own creations, or even worse, if they failed to complete the task, their willingness to pay dramatically declined. An incomplete IKEA item isn't valued highly at all, even if it's close to being finished which is an important lesson for businesses looking to use this principle. Don't ask too much from consumers, or they'll end up more dissatisfied than they would have been with a pre-built product. So, which brands, products, and services have actually found success using the IKEA effect? Obviously, we know about IKEA, but what are the others? One example cited by Ariely and co. is Build-A-Bear. This is a service where people are able to make their own teddy bears, They can customise the fur, the colouring, and even stuff the bear themselves with padding. At the end of the process, consumers, often the parents, are left paying the bill, which is almost three or four times higher than an equivalent pre-built bear. What's more, Build-A-Bear's profit margins are actually higher because they're not paying for bear production costs and instead passing that on to the consumer. The researchers also pointed out that the popularity of haycations are part of this effect as well. Now, haycations are where city dwellers often pay to go out to a farm and do farmers' work for them. Over the course of a week or two, the haycationers, as they're called, will pay to work on a farm and produce fruit and veg, paying considerably more than they would if they bought that fruit and veg in a store. In fact, when you know about the IKEA effect, you start to see it everywhere. There's the example of make-your-own pottery shops that charge customers to make their own pottery for a considerable sum. Offerings like HelloFresh, where you pay a premium to cook your own meals, is another example. And even make-your-own cocktail classes, where customers bring their own alcohol and then pay to mix their own cocktails. However, some of the most successful applications of the IKEA effect comes from online offerings. According to Nir Eel in his book Hooked, LinkedIn discovered that new users who took the time to fill in their details on their profile were more likely to keep coming back to the site. So LinkedIn gamified this process, rewarding users with ticks, green lights and completion sounds when they finished updating their profile. By encouraging more users to put in a greater commitment up front, LinkedIn increased the loyalty and the retention of new users. 
Another great example is Spotify. The more investment you put into Spotify, the more you get out of it with better and better song recommendations. The IKEA effect means you'll highly value the suggestions Spotify provides you in their Discover Weekly, for example, and it makes you far less likely to switch to a competitor like Apple Music, even if the software was able to provide similar suggestions. Near Eel talks at length about how Twitter is an incredibly simple product that most software engineers could build and replicate. In fact, other companies have come up with almost identical versions of Twitter, but with better features. But that didn't mean Twitter users all jumped onto an easier-to-use platform immediately. As we all know, Twitter are still market leaders in the micro-blocking space, and that's because they've kept users engaged due to the IKEA effect. If you as a user have spent months or years building your following, you are far less likely to leave because you value the product highly. We have a natural bias towards things we've created ourselves. Brands and marketers often use this bias to increase the popularity of their products. It's why we're able to personalize our pizzas, design our own Nikes, and spend hours designing an outdoor pool for virtual families on Sims. But what about the things we don't create? Do we show a preference for other things we own? Before major events like the Olympics, World Cup finals or the Super Bowl, you'll often hear stories about a lucky ticket holder asking for a huge sum of money to sell their ticket. At the 2020 Super Bowl, some fans offered their tickets for a massive $6,754, over 100 times more than the original list price. These fans haven't created their tickets, meaning there's no IKEA effect. So why do they value their tickets so highly? The phenomenon here is known as the endowment effect. The effect occurs for two reasons. The first is loss aversion, which means we feel the pain of losing something twice as strongly as we feel the pleasure of an equal gain. The second reason is due to ownership. We fall in love with what we already have and are prepared to pay even more to retain something we own than we would to pay for a similar item that we don't own. Nobel laureate and author of Thinking Fast and Slow, Daniel Kahneman, uncovered this bias in a study involving coffee mugs. In the study, Kahneman and his colleagues divided participants into buyers and sellers. At the start of the experiment, the sellers were each given a coffee mug as a gift. Later on, the researchers asked these sellers how much they would be willing to sell the mug for and then asked the buyers, the other group, how much they would be willing to pay. Incredibly, these two randomised groups who should act quite similarly behaved very differently due to ownership. The buyers said they'd pay around $2.87 for the mug. But the sellers who were given the coffee mug as a gift just a few minutes before demanded a whopping $7.12. The study really showed how irrationally we value things under our ownership. But the endowment effect has an even greater influence outside of the lab. Dan Ariely and Zick Carmen decided to test how much basketball fans value the tickets they own versus the tickets they want. Before important college basketball games, Duke University conducts a lottery between fans that want tickets because there's not enough room for everybody. So if you want a ticket, you drop your name into the lottery and a random group of winners are chosen. After one of these lotteries occurred, the researchers called and asked the winners, who got tickets, 
how much they would sell the ticket for, and then next they asked the losers how much they would buy it for. Now there shouldn't really be a huge difference between the two groups here. Both groups wanted tickets, both were willing to pay the lottery price for the ticket, only some have been lucky enough to be chosen whilst others haven't. But when asked, those lucky fans with the tickets demanded 14 times more than the ticketless fans were willing to pay. The lottery winners wanted $2,400 on average to give up their tickets, while the lottery losers who did not have the tickets were only willing to buy them for $175. The moment the lottery winners got their tickets, they valued them to a higher degree and giving them up became much, much harder. But maybe the behaviour would be different if the fans didn't have to give up their tickets and instead could swap tickets for another match. Well, Daniel Kahneman researched this too. In his experiment, he took a big group of students and split them into two groups. Half the participants were given coffee mugs and the other half were given chocolate bars, each of identical value. After the items were handed out, the researchers let the students trade. Those who preferred mugs were able to get them, and those who preferred chocolate were able to swap for mugs, that sort of thing. Because the researchers assigned the items randomly, it was expected that about 50% of participants would prefer the item in the other group, or perhaps potentially that one group would show a preference for a certain type of item, say mugs would be chosen more likely, or perhaps people were hungrier, they were more likely to choose the chocolate. But 50% of people didn't trade. In fact, only 10% of students were willing to trade. The remaining 90% of students, 9 out of 10, were not willing to trade their mug or their chocolate bar. The endowment effect was officially established. Once students started to feel ownership over the object they were given, they favoured it, even though it was randomly selected and, you know, they might have originally preferred the other item. If you want to learn how to apply nudges like the IKEA effect to your work, then you should check out the Science of Marketing course. It's a four-part course containing 52 bite-sized video lessons, and it walks through the core principles of behavior science, teaching you how to apply these nudges to your work. It's built by me to help everyone from veteran marketers to graduate newbies. Each lesson walks through eye-opening peer-reviewed studies and fascinating real-world examples, and the course will teach you the science behind great marketing to help you become a better marketer. Access to the course is completely free, but the waiting list is getting pretty long, so do not hesitate and sign up today. Click the link in the show notes or head to scienceofmarketing.teachable.com to sign up. You might dismiss some of these studies because they only focus on low-value items, mugs, chocolate bars, but surely behaviour would be different if we looked at larger investments. Well, studies suggest otherwise. Michael Ervellini, a researcher at Cabot Research, has looked into how the endowment effect alters investors' decisions. His research concluded that around 25% of all investments made suffer from the endowment effect. Investors often don't sell stocks that look unlikely to grow simply because they've grown attached to owning those shares. In a different paper, Anagol and colleagues studied how the endowment effect influences many professional investors. Their research took them to the Indian stock market and specifically initial public offerings or IPOs. And when IPOs of companies in the Indian market are oversubscribed, so too many people want to buy shares for these new companies, the issuers conduct a lottery to allocate the shares to all of the people who want them. 
Now the winners received a fixed number of shares of the IPO stocks, while the losers received no shares and can only buy shares after the issue starts trading. So big advantage for those winners. The researchers tracked behaviour of over 1.5 million lottery winners and losers in 54 IPOs and tested the endowment effect. Now in theory, the two groups of investors should have an equal desire to own the shares as they both participated in the lottery. But the researchers, they found a slightly different behaviour. The data showed on average that one month after the trading started, 62% of lottery winners were still holding shares, while only 1% of the losers had bought them. Even two years later, 36% of winners were still holding onto shares, while only 1.7% of the losers had bought them. If investors were purely rational, these numbers would be much closer, almost 50-50, but they're not, and it shows that the endowment effect has kicked in. Those who already owned stocks valued them higher, and those who didn't own them, well, they just suddenly didn't value these stocks at all. The research proved that investors are not always rational, calculating machines. The IPO winners are more likely to hold on to their shares, regardless of profit or loss, while the losers preferred not to buy shares, even though they originally wanted them. The endowment effect is well known by marketers. Whether you've noticed it or not, you've probably been influenced by the effect when you've purchased a product. Test drives are a great example. According to Martis Research, 88.6% of car buyers are influenced by the test drive. Apple retail stores are another example. In there, buyers get a hand-on experience of different products. They get to flick through different apps on an iPhone or even try on the Apple Watch. And this encourages the endowment effect. It makes people feel more connected to the products. You can do the same online too. Most SaaS products offer free trials or a freemium tool. Users who trial a product become far more likely to purchase it as they've become attached to the product they're using. The endowment effect and IKEA effect drastically alter our behaviour. They make us irrationally value items that we own, and marketers often use these biases to increase usage of their products and services. But marketers have to be careful. These effects can have a detrimental effect. The economist Daniel Poulter found that pricing changes are often viewed irrationally. Due to loss aversion, he found that price increase often hurt much more than price decreases. His study, conducted between 1981 and 1983, found that a 10% increase in the price of eggs led to a 7.8% decrease in demand, so quite a big decrease in demand. Whereas a 10% decrease in the price of eggs, so the same decrease to the same increase, led to only a 3.3% increase in demand. So you shouldn't assume that you can win customers back after a big price increase by dropping the price back down again later. This data suggests that most of our consumers, well, they'll never come back. You've been listening to Nudge, the Consumer Psychology Podcast. Today we have covered how we greatly value items we've created, how we become attached to the items we own, and how we perceive losses to be worse than equivalent gains. Please do get in touch with me to let me know what you think of this show and of the podcast in general. You can always drop me a review on Apple Podcasts or send me a tweet at Nudge Podcast on Twitter. And the next time you're boasting about how great your idea or suggestion is, maybe take a step back and think about how the IKEA effect 
might be influencing you. It's probably a good chance that your creation, your idea, might just seem good to you because you created it. I've had a bunch of people sign up to our email list this week, so thank you to everybody who did. If you haven't signed up to the email list, you can do so by clicking the link in the show notes. I'll send you an email every single time a new show goes live, so you won't miss another episode. And that's all you'll get. Just an email from me when a show goes live. No ads, no spam, no promotion. So please do sign up. Anyway, thank you so much again for listening to this episode of Nudge. I'll see you in a couple of weeks for another episode. Thanks very much. Thank you.